You're listening to Canada's Court, your home for all your Canadian basketball needs. Here's your host, Philip Drost. Well, Leo Routens could be considered a trailblazer for Canadian basketball. At the age of 16, Leo Routens was playing for the Canadian national team. He was the first Canadian to ever get drafted in the first round of the NBA draft, and now most Canadian basketball fans hear him pretty often. He is the Toronto Raptors broadcast analyst and has been since the creation of the team. He joins me for the very first in-person interview of Canada's Court from the media room of the Air Canada Centre in Toronto. Leo, thanks for coming in. My pleasure, Philip. Good to, good to have an opportunity to chat with you here. Um, so, yeah, tell me about how you first started basketball. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, well, my background, uh, my family background is Lithuanian. And uh, even though I grew up in Toronto, uh, everybody playing hockey, and I played hockey, but all the Lithuanian kids... Uh, all played basketball. It's a national sport in Lithuania, so uh, we all played uh, played hoops and uh, part of a, you know, the church league and all this other stuff. And my big brother uh, George, uh, he was actually a really good player. And so, quite honestly, uh, everything he did, I just wanted to be bigger and better. And uh, that was kind of my drive uh, for playing basketball. And you accomplished that. <laughs> well, I did my best. I mean, he he put up some good uh, good challenges. I mean, he was a. He was a great high school player here in Toronto. Uh, he got a scholarship to Niagara University. Uh, he got drafted by the Buffalo Braves, played for Canada. So, uh, you know, uh, he, he did he did pretty good. But I said, like, whatever he, whatever he did, I wanted to top. So that was, uh, that was my goal. And you started playing for the national team at 16. What was that like? Uh, well, you know, it, it was a phenomenal experience because, you know, I got to encounter and be taught by Jack Donahue. Uh, Jack Donahue found me, uh, gave me an opportunity, um, you know, really, really gave me, you know, really the life that I have now. Um, you know, he gave me an opportunity. He taught me the game. He taught me how to approach the game. Um, I always tell people, if you, if you hear me on TV, whether you like me or not, that's, you're hearing Jack. Jack taught me the game. He taught me how to think the game. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, he, he gave me some incredible opportunities. When you're 16 years old, and all of a sudden you're you're traveling around the world playing against the best players in the world, uh, it's it's phenomenal. And you're you're representing your country, so uh, it was an amazing experience. So, um, actually, my next question was, who did you look up to? But I guess that's the uh, answer there. Well, you know, yeah, I, I've been very fortunate. You know, the old saying, "It takes a village uh, to raise a child." I've been very fortunate. Uh, have a lot of great people in my life. I mean, Jack Donahue certainly. Uh, was a special person. I said my, my, my entire family, you know, my brother was kind of a driving force. My dad was amazing. My mom, uh, and I said my high school coach, Dan Pernagast at St. Mike's, uh, you, Jim Baham, it's here. You just keep going through a list of people that um, have really had an impact on my life uh, that, that I think, you know, I, I think you they all play a very important role to take you where you are. Uh, and, you know, I'm very grateful for that. So was it difficult to be to get recruited to, and get noticed since you were playing a uh, high school in Canada? Well, normally that would be the situation, but um, when I made the national team, I was I was finishing eleventh grade, uh, and that opened up like the floodgates. Uh, by the time I came back from our first tour, I had uh, Providence College, North Carolina, UCLA, all knocking on my door, uh, literally overnight. Um, and I had already received a few scholarship offers from, you know, local like Buffalo, Canisius, things like that uh, prior to. 
but um, that just opened up everything. And you know, Jack Donahue, obviously uh, well respected in the in the NCAA circles. Um, he was a great contact. Um, so so normally you'd you know, there's a lot of guys I played with that all could have gone on scholarship places uh, and just never got that exposure that I was fortunate enough to receive. So that changed my platform dramatically. And what was it like to have all those people, all those different schools wanting wanting to have you on their team? To be honest with you, it was crazy because uh, we'd never experienced that here, you know, uh, that kind of recruiting. Uh, and um, recruiting rules were dramatically different back then. They weren't a lot of rules. Uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say there were days that I, I did not go home. I hid from coaches. Uh, I'd have, you know, a handful of coaches at my high school. Uh, I'd have coaches waiting outside my house. I'd have coaches in my house. I'd have, it was crazy. Uh, they'd call at all hours of the day and night. Uh, you know, my mom was a piano teacher at home. My dad worked. Um, you know, it, it was, it became, you know, crazy. Uh, because we, you know, because we didn't have experience with it. We didn't necessarily set any groundwork for rules or for coaches to follow. And, uh, they kind of were a free-for-all. They had no rules to guide themselves. Uh, it was a different world back then. So uh, it, it actually got pretty crazy. It got to the point where I couldn't – I just wanted to get past it and get over it with it, and, you know, it was, it was nuts. And you just ended up going for your first year of university to Minnesota. What, were there a few schools that you were looking at or – yeah, I mean, my, my, my final, the first round, my final came down to Minnesota, Syracuse, uh, Marquette, uh, Michigan, and, and Marshall, which nobody could understand, uh, on West Virginia. And uh, uh, ultimately, I went with Minnesota. I mean, Big Ten was kind of the, well, actually, Michigan State was in there, too. Uh, Big Ten was kind of the conference at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I went down on my visit, and it was, uh, it was amazing. Uh, the Williams Arena. They had the, it was like the one of the largest on-campus arenas, and uh, they had Kevin McHale there. And we actually ended up having the best freshman class in the country. Uh, my freshman year, uh, it was ranked number one. Um, so you know there was a lot of factors that got me uh, got me there. But you know once I was there, I mean, I, and, and I could have stayed there and had a good career there. Um, but it, you know a lot of things were downplayed, like the academics and and, and so forth. So. Um, you know, uh, if I was going to be at a school, I'm graduating from that school. And uh, I just didn't feel that was going to happen if I stayed in Minnesota. So I, I ended up getting out of there. Was that a difficult process to switch from Minnesota to Syracuse? Oh, it's, it's very difficult. It was, uh, you know, you, you don't you don't like the idea of having to transfer. You don't like uh, you sitting out a year. Uh, uh, although it's actually kind of funny, one of the – uh, there was a rule back then. Remember Larry Bird, when he left Indiana, he transferred to Indiana State, and he got a chance to be drafted twice, when his, when his Indiana class graduated or when his senior year at Indiana State. So if, the way the rule was, you could get drafted when your class graduates, and you have to be signed by the next draft or you go back in the draft again. So the Celtics drafted him, and he went back to school, and they had to sign him by the next draft or they lose that pick, right? So I thought, hey, okay, if I transfer, I can get drafted twice, <laughs> right? I, it's a great option. Uh, and unfortunately, they changed the rule a year after I transferred. But uh, it was tough. And, and quite honestly, the second time round was even worse uh, from a recruiting standpoint because now I'm a proven college player. 
okay, you know, I'm all Big Ten rookie or whatever. So now they know you can play at that level. There's no question. Uh, so the recruiting was way more intense. Um, and also the way it worked back then, I could sign five letters of intent. When you're, it only, wherever you showed up, that's where you went to school. So, you know, you had everybody coming. Um, and again, it kind of, you know, Marquette was back in the picture, uh, Syracuse. Uh, but uh, I signed with Marshall. And uh, a lot of people couldn't understand that. Uh, but after, you know, after transferring, I wanted to go to a situation where I just felt like this would be my program. Uh, and Stu Aberdeen, actually a Canadian from out east, uh, uh, was the head coach there. Uh, he had been at Tennessee with the Ernie and Bernie show years ago, year, years prior. Um, and so I just felt, okay, this will be, be a, a positive situation for me. And uh, uh, two weeks after I signed, he died, uh, died of a heart attack. And uh, uh, I had heard about it coming back from a trip from Italy with the Canadian team. Jack Donahue pulled me aside. He read it in the New York Post or whatever. Uh, and, and, he, and he told me, and by, by the time I had gotten home, Syracuse was already back in the picture. And, and so uh, I actually contemplated not going to school and going to Europe uh, because I had been playing for Canada. I had offers to go and play. Um, and, uh, but uh, I just said, my, finally my dad kind of slapped me in the head, so what are you, nuts? Um, and, uh, and that's how I ended up at Syracuse. And what, was the, what were those seasons like for you? Well, it was pretty crazy because uh, I liked Syracuse. I liked everything about it. Um, but when I signed to go to Syracuse, there was no Carrier Dome with 30,000 people. There was no Big East Conference. There was none of that. Uh, by the time I signed and started to play, there was now a Big East Conference, which became the hottest conference in the country. Uh, there was a Carrier Dome, and, we were, and, and by my senior year, um, our inner squad scrimmage had 27,000 people at the inner squad. So it, it became, you know, this crazy snowball uh, that was amazing. It was an amazing ride. Um, you know, like I said, we were setting national attendance records once a week. The Big East Conference was taking the country by storm. You had Georgetown at Ewing. You had, you know, St. John's or Chris Mullen. You had all these great teams and great players. Uh, so that, it was just an amazing experience. And and also one of the reasons I left Minnesota was the academics, and Syracuse had one of the best broadcast journalism schools in the country, uh, so that was a perfect match, uh, the Newhouse School. So uh, it all kind of fell into place, uh, and a byproduct was it was kind of close to home, only four-hour drive from Toronto, so uh, a lot of friends and family could uh, come see me play, and, and uh, I could get home, so it was kind of nice. Was there a, a specific highlight that stands out to you during your time with Syracuse, be that a game or a, a moment that really summed up your experience? Uh, well, you know, it was a lot of, lot of great moments, a lot of fun times. But, you know, the one moment that comes up every year, uh, we won the Big East Championship my sophomore year. Uh, it was a triple overtime game against Villanova. Uh, we had beaten St. John's, we beat Georgetown, and then we got Villanova. And it was in Syracuse, uh, the, the tournament that year. And uh, a lot of people up until recently, uh, actually until my son's Andy's game against Syracuse against Connecticut, which was six overtime in the Big East tournament, until that game came along, a lot of people felt that uh, uh, our game against Villanova was the greatest game in Big East history. Um, and I ended up getting the MVP of the Big East championship. Uh, I got the winning tip in, in the game. So that's kind of, if you had to pick one, I guess, uh, that's the one that uh, – uh, whether I like it or not, people remind me of every year. <laughs> every year, uh, you know, now that the Big East has kind of changed and it's not the Big East that I knew, 
Uh, it's not quite as bad, but uh, for every Big East tournament, every single year, I'd get media calls and they'd rehash that whole thing. So uh, that's embedded in my mind whether I like it or not. So basically what you're saying is if there's a Routens in the uh, championship game, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, and, 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 and don't plan on dinner after the game because you're going to be in overtime. <laughs> so now take me to draft day. What was that day like for you? You know, obviously that's your dream, right? That's a, that's what you work for. Uh, you know, I had uh, – I, I contemplated coming out my junior year. Uh, Red Arbach uh, sat with Coach Donahue at the Big East tournament. He, he told him if I came out, that Boston would take me, and that was really tempting. Um, I always wanted to be a Celtic, uh, but I, I came back from my senior year. and then So I kind of knew, uh, you know, you go through all the whole process. It's not as extensive as it is now. We had the Aloha Classic in Hawaii. We go there, you play, and you kind of get, you know, grouped with whatever happens there. But uh, – uh, I kind of knew I'd go anywhere between, you know, 10 and 20. That, that was my range. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit higher, maybe, but that was the kind of range. And uh, so, um, you know, it, it was kind of a crazy day. Uh, I had to go to Philadelphia the night before the draft. They, they wanted to do a physical, uh, and my flight was canceled. All kinds of stuff happened. I eventually get, got there and sat down with, you know, the coaches, the GMs, the owner, everybody in this crazy business meeting, if you want to call it. Uh, but it went great. So I, I knew that uh, if I wasn't taken by, say, Washington at number 10, I believe, uh, Portland at 15, uh, Philly would take me at 17, or San Antonio at, I think it was 19, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, but the one player that was kind of the things hinged on was uh, Clyde Drexler. Uh, he came out early and um, – you know, if, if, say, if Portland had taken him at 15, you know, they might have taken me. If Port, if he was available, Philly might have taken him instead of me. So, you know, I, we were kind of in that same small forward category. Uh, so I was waiting for that. And and, and also uh, Jeff Malone at Washington, who went 10, uh, that was a that, that might have been a possibility for me too. So, you know, you're kind of waiting, waiting. All of a sudden you get the phone call and it's Philly. And, you know, so and I was, it was a pretty exciting day. I've always wondered uh, when teams have those meetings with potential uh, draftees. What kind of questions do they ask you? Everything. Uh, you know, uh, you know your off-court habits, on-court habits, uh, the, how you react to teammates, coaches, uh, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, uh, what would you do if you played? If you didn't play, you know, you know, basically any question you could imagine. So, you know. You, you prep for that. You know, a lot of it's common sense. A lot of it, uh, you know, you're going to give them what they want. Other times you just tell them how you feel. So it's, uh, uh, but, but you're sitting there, you got like nine people in a room and everybody's firing away. Uh, but, but it's, again, it's not as extensive. That was it. That was my one interview, if you want to call it that. These kids today, they go to the Chicago Combine. They might get interviewed by all 30 teams. They, they'll fly to individual workouts for each team. Uh, I didn't do one individual workout for any team. I mean, that, I just, we just went to Hawaii. You know, they invited the top 32 players in the country, uh, which could not be underclassmen at the time. It could only be seniors. Um, you played for, for a week, and, and that was basically it. Uh, and uh, like I said, Philly did a physical, which was a joke. I mean, they, they kind of straightened my leg out, bent my leg. You okay? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, you're good. I mean, today they do MRIs. They do all kinds of stuff on players. So, um, yeah, like I said, it was a different world. Uh, but it was, uh, like I said, it was, it was a day you never forget. And what was it like when they you found out you'd been drafted? 
like I said, it was a it was a special day, and it's something I've always wanted to be in the NBA. It's something I always believed I would, uh, you know. And and you know, I got I got drafted by the NBA champions. I mean, Philadelphia just won. Uh, you had Dr. J, Moses Malone, Mo Cheeks, Andrew Tony. You had you had unbelievable players, um, and so it was exciting. You know, I was uh, I was excited about the opportunity and uh, just just ready to get going. And you were also the first Canadian to ever be drafted in the first round. What did that, and what does that mean to you? Well, you know, as I said back then, I didn't care if uh, if kids looked at it and said he made it, or wow, he made it. I I don't care how you looked at it. I, I thought it was important that kids could say, you know, I, if you can do it, I can do it. Like I can do this um, because I my whole time I always heard people say, ah, you can't do it. You're not good enough. You're a dime a dozen in the states. I, I heard everything right. So I just, you know, to me, the more you told me I couldn't do something, more chance I'll do it. Um, so I, I just, I think it's important that kids know that, you know, uh, if they looked at it as this is something now they can do, that would be great. Um, so other than that, I, being Canadian, other than that, really didn't make a difference to me because I, you know, I, I've been playing ball, you know, long enough and in different places that, you know, I, I didn't look at myself as anything. You know, the Canadian aspect was being able to represent my country or, like I said, kids back home saying, hey, that's pretty cool. And um, you had some injuries in that first season. What exactly happened? Well, I had a lot of injuries along the way. I mean, quite honestly, I've already had surgeries prior to getting to Philly uh, in college uh, that easily could have derailed everything. Um, uh, and then at Philly, you know, things just started off on the, on the wrong foot. I, uh, I had, a, I had a, a problem with my foot, and then, uh, then I got hit in the knee really bad. Uh, then I uh, tore my ankle. First week of the season, I landed on Bobby Jones's foot. And, again, it, it's not like today's NBA. Um, you know, things like that would have been taken care of. You don't play. We take, do what we have to do. Back then it was like, you know, the general manager, Pat Williams, you know, I'm, I'm literally, you know, uh, laying on my couch, you know, dying, and he's going, you're going to play tomorrow, right? You know, okay. <laughs> you know, they you go to the hospital, my ankle's like a grapefruit, and they drain it. Uh, you just don't do that today. You know, uh, they drained it so I could move it, and then I, then they tape it up and go play. Uh, so I played on something that I shouldn't have been playing on, and that only got worse, and I got a stress fracture. Basically, it cost me my whole rookie year. And then what happens is then people say, okay, you're injury prone. Well, you're not injury prone, but you had one injury that wasn't handled properly. So uh, that was a real stumbling block because, like I said, the NBA was a different animal back then. Uh, and I really had a hard time overcoming that uh, perception uh, that, you know, you're, you're, you're hurt or you're going to get hurt. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was, uh, it was a lot of drama associated with that. Yeah, that must have been very frustrating. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like I'm not exaggerating when I say there were times that uh, – get up in the morning just to go to the bathroom I had to hop on one foot I couldn't even walk and then you still got to play um, which again today today's world it would never happen uh, and then other other bad medical things happened which again today I could sue somebody back then you know you didn't do anything so um, you know I, I still was fortunate that I still got a lot of years of playing uh, you know whether it be NBA or overseas but um you know, every for some reason my body broke down. Uh, you know, I've had, you know, to this day I've had 19 knee surgeries, I've had foot surgery, I've had, you know, back surgery, elbow surgeries, you name it, I've had it. Uh, and you know, like I said, I, I just feel fortunate that I was able to get as much out of my body as I did, uh, based on, you know, uh, how how things were and medical treatments at that time.
And then how did you wind up playing in uh, Europe? Well, you know, I had a, I had a lot of experience with Europe from Canada, uh, playing for Canada, and, and I had very good connections there, and I was comfortable there because I'd spent so much time uh, overseas. Uh, and, and that was kind of a big, you know, uh, at that time it was a big market. Uh, and I had the, you know, I was still drafted by the NBA champions. And, and so even though I got, I got traded and moved and everything, so my value was pretty high to go to Europe. Uh, and uh, I had a couple offers, and I, and I ended up going to play for uh, Bank of Rome uh, in Rome. And, uh, and, and so it was, a, it was a pretty cool experience to, to go over there. And I ended up, you know, playing, uh, playing in, in Italy, played in Rome, played in Verona, I played in France and Lyon and Ortez, and I played in uh, Spain and Orense and Malaga over the years. So I've had some great, you know, pretty cool experiences playing. Um, and again, uh, but still, uh, that injury bug kept following me, and like a lot of different things happened along the way there. So, like I said, I'm just lucky I got it, got in as much as I did. Did you have a favorite spot in Europe that you got to play? Well, I love Italy. You know, I, I I loved Italy from the the basketball, the living, the social, the shopping, the the people. Like uh, I just loved Italy. Uh, I speak, you know, I speak pretty good Italian. I uh, it was just a cool place to to live and and play, um, and I and I have a I have a soft spot for warm places. I hate cold, so uh, Malaga, Spain was pretty good. You're right on the Mediterranean. Uh, you know, Poortes in France was uh, same thing. You're right on the right on the water, and it's a beautiful place. Uh, and you're right by a resort called Biarritz, which is amazing. So, um, you know, like I said, I've been in some beautiful places, and and uh, uh, great way to live. It seems like you're living in the wrong spot for a warm climate. <laughs> yeah, that's why I have a home in Florida because I try to go there every single chance I can. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not a big fan of cold. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And tell me about how you got to be coach of the national team. What was that? How did that come about? Uh, you know, I've, I've over the years I've done a lot of work with players uh, individually. I've, I've you know coached young kids and spent a lot of time uh, basketball camps across the country. So I've always enjoyed that part of the game. Um, and, uh, so, you know, the opportunity came up, uh, you know, Canada was looking for a coach. I put my name in the hat and, uh, uh, you know, I got lucky. They, they gave me a shot and, and it was just a, you know, like I said, the next best thing to play in is coaching your country and, and being able to represent. And, and we had a big challenge in front of us cause there was a lot of negative perceptions about the program, uh, old boys club, racist, this, you name it, all kinds of stuff was out there. So, you know, my, my, my intent was to change all that, make, make people feel the program's open to everybody. Uh, I also realized very quickly that this was just post-Steve Nash. So Todd McCullough had his foot problems. Steve Nash just decides to retire. And they had a veteran group that basically all retired about the same time. Uh, and I realized that the players we had weren't going to win. So what we had to do is go younger and start building up. Um, and, and that's, I think, a lot of what you see today with all these, a lot of these young guys, uh, that was our focus. Uh, uh, you know, going after a Kelly Olenek coming out of high school, putting him on a national team. Young, you know, uh, look at finding the Andrew Wiggins, finding the Tristan Thompsons, Dwight Powells, and all these kids, and doing whatever you can uh, to give them an opportunity to play for the national teams, whether it's the junior, senior, everything, and just start building up. Uh, so it was a great experience. I loved it. I uh, loved the coaching standpoint, but it got to a point where, uh, you know, by, uh, you know, we actually 
accomplished all our realistic goals set for our teams. Like we, you know, the, the media doesn't understand what we're dealing with, but we actually uh, were able to accomplish a lot of good things. And again, change the way the program was kind of uh, functioning mm -hmm. uh, and the perception of the program, which is good. Uh, but there was so much stuff with that. It was, it was, it was taxing. So I go, I, I stepped down after, after 2011. Um, if it was just coaching, I would have stayed forever, but unfortunately, there's so many other things that uh, it's involved that it just it just kind of wears you down. Uh, but uh, it was an unbelievable experience. You mentioned there was a negative perception of the of the Canadian team. Where did that come from? Well, it's just a lot of players felt slighted over the years. Whether you know, my feeling is this: whether it's true or not, if people if there's a perception of that, it may as well be true. Uh, so if uh, if uh, if a black player feels that the program's alienating him. Uh, then, like I said, then it may as well be true because if pl enough players feel that way, uh, or if, pl if 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 younger players feel that it's an old boys network, they have no shot to get in. Uh, if there's a a BC bias and an Ontario bias, wh whatever it may be, if any of those things are, if people think that, uh, then it, then that's what it is. So I I tried to change that. Uh, I tried to be visible. Try to go across the country to provinces to open tryouts. Let kids know you got an opportunity. Um, definitely went into the inner cities and uh, uh, communities and and let kids know that I don't care if you're black, white, green, yellow. If you can play, you know, there's a spot. I told young kids, hey, if you're better than the older guy, he's gone. I don't care. I want the best players, and we're going to develop the best players. So that that's kind of the attitude we took, and uh, and I thought we did a pretty good job at, at changing a lot of the perceptions, you know. And you, you mentioned there were some goals you had set and you met them. You mentioned the uh, perception one that you accomplished. What were some of the other goals you were trying to go for? Well, I mean, like I said, we weren't talented enough to – I mean, we weren't going to Olympics. We're not going to win. Uh, and we're not ready. We weren't ready for that. We just weren't ready. But, you know, uh, there was a junior team uh, in 2005 that won a bronze medal. That had never been done before in the Worlds. Uh, and that team was kind of the, the foundation for moving up. Uh, so that was, that was a big thing. Um, you know, in 2007, we qualified for the World Wild uh, Olympic Wild Card, which put us in the top five. Um, then we went to the Wild Card. We made it to the to, through the second round of the uh, of the Wild Card tournament in 2008. 2009, we qualified for the World Championships in 2010. Um, you know, and unfortunately, in 2010, we had a lot of injuries and that caught up with us. So, you know, throughout the years, we, we reached our the, the, the different goals that we had to get to um, and based on our talent and experience at the time. Uh, you know, a lot of people on the outside, you know, a lot of media at times were critical, but um, that was a choice of not looking to really understand what we're doing uh, because it's kind of funny now you'll hear the team, you know, uh, fail with 12 NBA players and people say well they're young and they need time but when we had one or two NBA players and a whole bunch of young kids they said that you know we stunk which made no sense so you know that's the kind of that's the kind of thing you had to deal with and after a while it just got a little old because uh it was a lot more media having agendas than actually taking a look at what you're doing and uh what did you find you learned from that experience no, it just, uh, you know, uh, like I said, it was it was an honor to coach. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the relationships with the players are amazing. I still, you know, still have great relationships with all these guys. I was able to coach. Uh, and uh, like I said, I don't know if there was any, any big lessons in there, but it was just it was just a great experience. And, 
you know, something I said, I, 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 I love the coaching aspect. The other stuff was uh, got old after a while. But, uh, you know, just the coaching and being with the players and, and, and trying to, you know, develop the game was, was a great experience. And what's it like now to get to see all these young Canadians? I mean, you see them. You saw them last night. You saw Kelly Olynyk playing. You see Corey Joseph on uh, a regular basis. What's it like to get to see this Canadian talent finally uh, coming to the surface? Well, it's great because these kids, uh, you know, we've we've had a lot of talent, and and uh, you know now you're seeing, uh, you know, see we, we, th- things have kind of been cyclical, right? You have you have these little spurts. You'd have the you know, like in, in 1982, uh, you know, we had we had five or six draft picks on our national team. We had two or three first round picks. Uh, you know, but then then you kind of drop off, and then there's nothing. And then then there's a Rick Fox, a Steve Nash, and then there's nothing. You know, uh, and then it comes up again. So you have these peaks and valleys, right? Uh, but now you're seeing every year kids, kids, kids coming. And and quite honestly, I mean, the, the biggest single factor is the NBA coming to Canada. I mean, if you look at you know, Andrew Wiggins was born in 1995. When did the NBA get here? 1995. I mean, uh, all these kids grew up watching the game, uh, seeing the game. I mean, I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you can see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, you can do it. Uh, and when I grew up, you know, I rarely saw, you know, you wonder every couple of weeks maybe you saw a game. You almost never saw a game in person. Uh, you never met players. You know, you, None of that. Uh, now kids got camps, clinics. There's 300 games on TV. You can watch everybody. So it's it's a whole different world now. So you know the NBA's impact on a game has been enormous, and and I think that's why we're seeing all these all these kids. And it's great. It's great to see. What sort of advice would you give to some of the uh, young players, maybe some young children who are looking to maybe become professional players? You know, I believe you can accomplish anything you want to if you want to work hard. You know, expect nothing, earn everything, uh, but understand something. Uh, the chances of you being an NBA player are less than 1%. And so you better have another plan. And even if you are an NBA player, uh, your lifespan is not very long. So what are you going to do when you're done? I don't care how much money you make, you still got to live. And, and so I think it's important to get an education. Uh, and, you know, right now the path to the NBA is through the NCAA. So, you know, you don't want to limit your NCAA options. Um, you know, if, 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 you know, Syracuse, for example, may be your best option to develop your MBA chances, uh, you want to make sure you're academically equipped to go there and you can get in and you can do the work and not have to end up going to, you know, I don't know, Arkansas or someplace because that's the only place you can get in. And, again, I'm just using these names as, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, throwing them out there. But, um you know, it, it's it's really important uh, to give yourself options in life, and and education gives you options. Uh, so you know, I, I even look at my situation. I was fortunate to have played what close to ten years of professional basketball with a body that was breaking down. Now, what if what if the worst injury happened in year one? Then I would never have had those. So if I didn't have an education, I would have been you know in big trouble. So um, you know, I got great advice uh, from a from a vice principal at my high school at St. Mike's one day. And he said, don't let the ball bounce you. And that's why I tell kids all the time, I used the game of basketball. The game didn't use me. I used the game to get whatever I wanted out of life. And I think that's the way you have to approach it. And you mentioned it, uh, even being education being important. And you actually, you, you'd spent some time broadcasting after, in between the NBA and Europe, correct? Yeah, well, uh, another great bit of advice I got was uh, from a professor at Syracuse. He said, your, your diploma means nothing. It's, it's nice to have and, and everything else, but 
uh, your resume means more. Uh, even while you're in school, uh, you want to have a resume. So what uh, I took that to heart and every opportunity I had, whether it's campus radio, whether it's writing here, doing this there, even while I was playing, you know, I was playing with the Sixers and I did the CBC uh, Radio Olympics for in, in, in L.A. Um, I took every opportunity to build a resume. So when the and, and again, with a lot of injuries, I had time. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately. And uh, so when the day came, when the, the doctors opened up my knee, say you're done. OK, I got 24 hours, felt sorry for myself. The next day I picked up the phone. I got a job in TV because I had a resume uh, without that resume. That wouldn't happen. So I think it's important. Uh, like I said, that was a, some great advice that I got from uh, from a professor, you know, at Syracuse that uh, you know really meant a great deal and, and, and certainly helped me. And how did you become the uh, broadcaster for the Raptors? Well, you know, they uh, you know, like anything else, there's luck uh, and, and timing, right? Being in the right place at the right time. Um, in '94, prior to the Raptors coming in, I did the World Championships. Uh, you know, for CTV, uh, which was in Toronto. Um, and that was a nice door opener. Um, so when the Raptors came into being in 95, when they were looking, uh, you know, for an analyst, um, they had about a thousand videos and a thousand applications come in, but there was one Canadian that had played in the NBA uh, and had broadcasting experience. And that was me. So, uh, fortunately, uh, you know, they gave me a good look. And, you know, I had played against and, and known Isaiah Thomas, who was the general manager. Uh, Brendan Malone, who was the head coach at the Raptors, uh, uh, he was my assistant coach at Syracuse when I played there. So I had a good relationship with him. Uh, and all those factors kind of come into play when, when people are looking to hire you and everything. So it ended up, uh, you know, just being a, a good situation. And also remember the Vancouver Grizzlies came in the same year. And, uh, you know, they also pursued me to do their uh, TV. So it kind of came down to, you know, who I'm going to work with. And, you know, being from Toronto, this just seemed like a, a perfect fit. And a good thing maybe you picked Toronto since the Grizzlies uh, didn't end up sticking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that that worked out okay. But maybe I'd be in Memphis right now. Who knows? <laughs> well, you've been here for over 20 years now, right? Yeah, yeah I've been here since day one, 1995. So it's been, uh, you know, knock on wood, I'm going to stay till they throw me out. But uh, it's been a long run. And what's it like, been like to see this franchise evolve? It, it, it's it's crazy. It really is. Uh, you know, you go back to, you know, even even what we had to do on TV. I mean, we had to literally teach the game. Uh, and you walked a fine line where, um, you know, you're explaining three seconds and traveling, and there's people that watch that don't want to hear that. So you're walking a fine line of, of uh, not talking down to an audience but not talking to an uh, over an audience's head. But we had a lot of – we had to educate a good portion of the audience. So uh, just from things like that all the way through, you know, fans not knowing, you know, when to cheer, when not to cheer. Uh, it, there, there was a, a major learning curve. But, uh, you know, I always knew the game would be successful here. That uh, uh, I, I have a few – from being a basketball player, uh, I look at other things as factors. For example, you know, Toronto, the beer leagues where the older guys go play at night, Toronto's beer leagues are comparable to the best U U.S. cities. Uh, there's a ton of guys that play ball. You got beer leagues, that means you got dads, you got kids that are going to be playing the game. Uh, and there was a lot of following for the, like the, going to the NCAA, going to Michigan, going to Syracuse, close proximity to Toronto, uh, people to get their basketball fix. So 
you know, I had, I had, I had no, like, I never thought Toronto would be a Vancouver where, uh, the game would come and go. I thought the game is strong here. Uh, it was just a question of making it happen the right way. And, and I think Toronto over the years has done a lot of great things. The, or the Raptors organization has done a lot of great things to, to solidify the game being here. Uh, and, and now it's at a, an all time high and it's, and being only the only team in, in the, in Canada, it's, it's Canada's team, which is great. And you mentioned a bit earlier uh, that you enjoyed the coaching for the national team, uh, just as far as the coaching part. Have you ever considered going back into coaching? Uh, you know, hey, you never say never. Uh, you know, I had an opportunity to coach with the Raptors. Isaiah Isaiah Thomas offered me a, a job with the Raptors, and uh, at the time I turned it down. I just didn't think it was uh, it was the right time. But uh, like I said, you never say never. But, uh, you know, I love what I do right now, and it keeps me, uh, keeps me in the game, keeps me busy. So, you know, no complaints. All right. Well, Leo, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time with me today. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Phil. Thank you. That was Leo Routens, former coach of the men's national team, first Canadian to ever be drafted in the first round of the NBA draft, and also current Raptors play-by-play analyst. If you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, here's how you do so. You can send me a tweet at Canada's Court or an email, Canada's Court Podcast at gmail.com. And if you are uh, have some extra time on your hands, put in a review for this podcast. Let iTunes know what you think, and that might help bump it up a bit in the rankings, and then more people are able to find it. Thank you very much, and have a great day.